0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you, too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Robin, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Kwame.
0: It is our pleasure. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure. So right now I am a talent acquisition manager in the Boston tech scene at a cybersecurity company. And I've been in talent acquisition and recruiting for almost a decade now.
0: Nice. Very nice. And I know you recently started a podcast and you have a book coming out. Tell us about that.
1: I did. So in your very first podcast episode, I think, you gave your audience an assignment to do one thing, to ask for one thing that they wouldn't normally ask for. So I reached out to you and asked you if you would be my opening podcast guest. And I was thrilled when you said yes. And the podcast just launched. It's called The Buy In. It's available everywhere you can listen to podcasts now, including on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for doing that. And then I've also written a book called Rise, A Feasible Guide for Job Hunters in COVID Times and Beyond. And that is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. And it will go live, available on Kindle and paperback on December 1st.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be part of the story, and I think the the timing of your book and the podcast couldn't be better because people are always looking for more resources on this important topic. So, listeners, check out the description. You'll see, uh, you'll get access to the uh, the links for the podcast and the book coming up. So, we're really excited about that. And today, we're talking about the mistakes that people make in salary negotiation. So Robin, tell us, why is this so important?
1: I think especially during COVID, it's important because people worry that if they negotiate, they might lose the job offer and that they might not be able to find another job offer quickly enough. And so it's really not true. I was laid off in August during COVID. I found a new role and negotiated my offer with them and was actually able to get an increase in compensation making that move, which was fantastic. But in the end, you just have to know your true value and be able to market that from the very first conversation all the way through to the end. And so it's both about marketing and negotiation.
0: That's great. Yes. And so not only are you an expert as somebody who is on the recruiting side, but also you're an expert because you've done it (laughs) in these difficult times.
1: I am. And I also spent the first seven years of my professional career in marketing. So you'll notice that I play marketing into almost all of my job search and negotiation techniques.
0: This is great. Yeah, that's a that's a unique angle and something that we haven't addressed yet on the show. So I'm excited to d- jump into it. So let's get started. The, the three things we're going to focus on today are first, how to handle conversations about salary expectations. Next, we're going to talk about poor strategies for working with recruiters, how we can improve our strategy so we can do better. Um, and then the other mistake we're going to address is failing to know your true value. So let's talk about salary expectations. What do we need to know?
1: So I think as a recruiter, probably about 30% of the conversations that I have are with people who don't have a predetermined compensation expectation when I speak with them. And that makes it really difficult to move forward in the process. In fact, a lot of companies won't even present your resume to a hiring manager until you give them your compensation expectation, and it's challenging during COVID because so many of the roles are remote now. And so you don't have those defined geographical guidelines as well. And so there are a few tactics that you can use to go in and figure out what your target comp is. First, of course, you wanna know your annual budget that you need to actually spend. That's gonna be your bare minimum, right? Because the last thing you wanna do is take a role that means that you can't pay the bills. And then once you've determined your bottom line, minimum, you wanna go in and determine your target industry and your top two to three target job titles. And you wanna go to places like Glassdoor and salary.com and LinkedIn and research what the compensation levels are for those job titles. And if the compensation does not align with your minimum expectation, you need to pick a new industry and a new job title. Um, And then redo your research until you get there. And then you also need to compare it with where you were at previously. If you were laid off or where you're at in your current job, and make sure that it's at least as much or more because, unless you're going from the public sector to, say, the nonprofit sector, you should always be advancing yourself in that way.
0: That's fantastic. And listeners, of course, you probably know what I'm going to say by now. This takes a lot of research, a lot of preparation. So make sure you get those free guides on how to prepare for your negotiation. We have a salary negotiation guide on the website. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to our salary negotiation guides and all of our other negotiation guides too. And I I know you use this successfully too in your negotiation, so you can actually speak to it.
1: Yeah. And as a recruiter, I negotiate for a living, right? But when I'm on the other side and I'm advocating for my own compensation, it's different and it's a little more nerve wracking because I do it less frequently. And so I actually used your guide in my most recent compensation negotiation, which allowed me to make a move during COVID and receive an increase. So thank you so much. Your guides are so valuable and I recommend them to people all the time.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. See, listeners, they work and they're real.
1: They're great too, because I like to role play before I do my negotiations. And a lot of times you're role playing with people who aren't professional negotiators. So when you use those guides, it gives the person you're role playing with a top track to follow.
0: Exactly. That's great. That is great. And so one of the things I always hear from people um, is that one of the most nerve wracking parts of the negotiation is when you're applying and then you see that little box that says salary expectation. And they say, oh, no, I remember Kwame talking about anchoring. I don't want to create a bad anchor. How do I handle that? I need to put a number. So what would you suggest?
1: you put $1 in that field. (laughs) No recruiter is gonna believe that you actually wanna make $1 a year, but you don't ever want to list Um, say, $56,000 or $100,000 or $300,000 or $12 an hour, just to have a recruiter look at that and not even open up your resume if it doesn't align with it. Because if they'd opened up your resume, they might see that you could add value in ways that they hadn't even thought of, uh, or that you might be a really good fit for another opening at the company that hasn't been posted yet, even if you're not the perfect fit for the role that you applied to. And you have to be prepared though, because Once you have that initial conversation with the recruiter, they're going to ask you in that conversation what your minimum salary expectation is, and you should be prepared because you've already done all of the research that we just talked about to give them the low end of your range and also to give them a high end of your range. And so depending on your field, I give ranges of about $40,000 when, like a really wide range when I quote my target compensation. And I tell people that I do that when I'm talking to them on the phone, I say, I'm going to give you a really wide range here because I completely understand that large companies and small companies and public companies and private companies can pay very different compensation levels. So I'm going to give you a really wide range here. And then as we go through the interview process and we learn more about each other and the value that we can add to each other's lives, we can narrow down that target further.
0: That is great. Um, Listeners, I hope you just like copy and paste that. (laughs) What you just said. I think that's a really great way to handle it because it's so reasonable. And you're not making the mistake of pricing yourself out of different um, opportunities. And you're not making the the mistake of anchoring too low, and then putting yourself in a bad position when you could have gotten more. And so that also helps us to understand what to do in the middle of the conversation if they say, oh, what do you hope to make? Or something even more uh, sometimes nefarious, uh, what did you make before?
1: Yeah, and there's two important points there. The first is there's an alternate tactic, which is instead of you as the person looking for a job saying a number, you can turn it around and flip it back on them and say, well, can you tell me what your target compensation range is as a company? And then the real important thing that you have to do is be silent. After that, and I know you cover this a lot in your podcast, Kwame, and it's something that's really hard for me to do. So I appreciate that you bring it up a lot. Uh, You need to be silent because recruiters are not used to being asked that question, and they will need to run through their head to number one, maybe remember because they're probably recruiting for fourteen to twenty different roles, right? And they might not remember off the top of their head. And then number two, um, especially if they're with an agency, they might not have they might have some clients where they're allowed to. say the number, and some clients where they're not allowed to say the number. And so they might have to kind of go through that Rolodex in their head to figure it out.
0: Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country.
1: that it is only legal to ask for previous compensation information in certain states. Um, And so many states, they're only allowed to ask you for your compensation expectation. They are not allowed to ask you to provide proof of your compensation history. It's illegal. And they're also not allowed to ask you what you made in the last year. And so that's a really important piece of information to know. The other important piece of information is even if you get asked those questions, you're under no obligation to answer them, even if it is in a state where it's legal to ask. And so I recommend 100% of the time that you do not tell people what you were making at, what you were making previously, because if you were at, Google and you were making $300,000 a year doing something insane like director of, you know, senior director of engineering over there, then, you know, if you're looking for something in the startup world, you're not going to have that same, you're going to be looking at something, you know, $150,000 lower maybe, and you don't want them to get nervous and think that you're priced out because of it. Does that make
0: sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think we have the opposite too, because a lot of people are switching jobs because they were unappreciated, because they weren't properly compensated. And then we inappropriately anchor ourselves where we say, oh yeah, at my last job, I made $70,000, but we that's why we left. <laughs> it wasn't enough. And yeah. so I agree. I think strategically uh, finding really... Um, mindful ways of addressing this is, is really important. And it goes back to what you said, Robin, before, where you talked about role-playing. This shouldn't be the first time you're going through this. You should have practiced this a number of times so it comes out smoothly. A lot of times we are caught off guard with really basic questions <laughs> that we saw coming. We should have seen coming at least.
1: Absolutely. And this is a strategy that I used to go from making $56,000 to making six figures. You always want to um, keep your cards close so that you have that wiggle room and you never want to undervalue yourself or set yourself up for a more difficult negotiation later in the process by revealing too much information up front.
0: Absolutely. And listeners, I, I don't want what Robin just said to, to go over your head. I just want to reiterate, um, Robin was essentially able to double her salary because <laughs> she negotiated. Okay. So be mindful of that. It, it, there's, there's value out there to be had. And if you are adding appropriate levels of value to your company and you have the skills, um, then you should be compensated for that. So you have to know your value, which I know is is one of the other things that we're going to talk about coming up in a little bit too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so now let's focus on talking about strategies with recruiters. There are a lot of mistakes that people make when we're actually um, working with a recruiter because the dynamic is a little bit different. Um, Can you tell us about what strategies we need to consider when working with a recruiter versus negotiating directly with the company ourselves?
1: Absolutely. So recruiters, for most companies, recruiters, once a job opens, they work with a, an HRVP, a human resources business partner, or with the HRVP to, to determine the compensation benchmarks for the role by geographic bands and then they move forward with their process. And for every person who they speak with, they'll say, okay, this person comes in lower than the compensation band by like $30,000. So they're probably actually not gonna bring in the value that we need. Or they'll say, okay, well, this person is over the compensation ban by more than $20,000. And once you're at more than a $20,000 difference, you're looking at a pretty big lifestyle change. And so we are, you know, not going to be able to add the value that they need for their lives. So in both of those cases, they will pretty much usually, especially in a market like today where there's so much talent on the market that's available, they will oftentimes just reject your application based on that alone. And so what you want to do when you're first starting your conversation with the recruiter is steer it. Recruiters are trained to drive the conversation, but the great part is you can drive the conversation. You can take that power and harness it and make it your own and drive the conversation instead and steer it away from money and towards the value that you'll add to that company. And that's what you want every conversation to be about, about the value that you're going to add to the company. Because then when you get to the end stages and you start talking about dollar amounts, what you're doing is you are quantifying the intangible. And that value is often your intangible if you're in a role other than sales where you can't um, tie it directly back to revenue generation.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. And, and so Robin, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like one of the main things we want to do when we're in these types of situations is stay in the game really stay in the game, because a lot of times we make some strategic or tactical errors early on in the interaction, and then we don't get a shot because of the mistake we made early.
1: It's true. It's very true. And so, you know, when I'm doing my research on companies, what I do is, yeah, I go through, of course, I read their website. You want to know their product line going into it. You want to know their competitors going into it. You want to know. You want to imagine what challenges they're facing. And that way you can figure out how you can help them overcome those challenges. And that is how you're gonna position your value to set yourself up for success later on in the process. And even if you're not 100% spot on about those challenges, once you say, well, I imagine that you know one of your challenges is since you're going from a perpetual payment model to a monthly prescription uh, subscription model, you know, you're looking for different types of salespeople, but you run with a really lean recruitment team. So you're probably having to spend $30,000 for each hire through an agency. And I can come in and bring this value and bring a huge network in for you. And you're going to save so much money. The company is going to save so much money that it's going to cost you Way less to hire me than it is going to cost you to recruit, hire, and retain someone else. That's always what you're trying to prove. I am either going to save the company more money or make the company more money than it would cost to recruit, hire, and retain somebody else for the role.
0: This is incredible. I, I think this is really, really helpful. And again, you, what you're bringing now is more of a business savvy style of negotiation. Uh, because a lot of times we just say, all right, I need a job because I need money to eat. Um, they, have, they have a job opening and my skills meet it. Hey, I can do the job. That's why you should hire me. But what you're doing is you're taking it to another level you're saying okay not only of course can i do the job but i can anticipate the challenges that you have coming up i can solve those problems at a higher level and i can be mindful about how as a as an employee of your company my role is profit generation for you it's not just making sure i can do the work it's also finding ways to make you more money through my work
1: Absolutely. And I think one thing that some people do that is a mistake is they believe that their passion is value. And in business, passion does not equal value, results equal value. The only exception to this is if you're a recent graduate. So that's something that's really important to take into consideration. Not that you can't bring up that you're passionate about it, but you can't quantify passion in that way. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. It it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people come with that level of excitement, but it's like, hey, I, I can't take excitement to the bank. Um, <laughs> I need you to yeah. be very results-oriented. Makes a lot yep. of and sense. And
1: of course, you want to have passion in your conversations. You want to show that you care. Absolutely. But passion does not equal value and passion does not equal revenue. And for the most part, most people are interviewing with for-profit companies. So...
0: Absolutely. It makes so much sense. And I think the last one that we wanted to talk about was failing to know your value. And I think, again, that ties in really nicely with what we were just discussing uh, results and being very clear on what uh, benefit the, to the company it is for to have you when it comes to the results you can deliver. So when it comes to knowing your value, what are the mistakes people often make when it comes to understanding themselves?
1: So I think, especially if they're in a role where they're currently undervalued, it can be very difficult to know your value because you're saying, well, other people don't see me as this valuable currently. So why would I expect somebody in my future to see me as X dollar amount of value as well? And before I go into how you can overcome that, I want to share with the audience an anecdote that I alluded to a little bit earlier about not being able to understand your true value so when you're going through and you're doing your research on all of these companies you're probably doing it along the same time frame that you're writing your resume when you're writing your resume don't go through and make it a list of bullet points that read like a job description what you want to do is you want to describe the challenges that you faced the actions that you took to overcome those challenges and the results of those actions that's how you're going to describe and market your your true value. Because what it comes down to is, you know, 80% of what you do is the exact same as what other people in your field do. The other 20% is why people hire you that's what your true value is it's you know the reason that you were offered your first job before you had anything to put on your resume it's because you approach a problem differently than anybody else does because we are all unique individuals and so when you know that about yourself now you don't have to figure out oh do I have to embellish here do I need to leave things out there no these are facts these are challenges actions results and you know them and now you've got your resume that you can leverage as um, a tool to create conversations during the interview process that you're both interested in talking about and then set yourself up for successful negotiations at the end. And so I was, I've been in talent acquisition for almost a decade now, but I'd been in it for about four years and I was at like the $56,000 mark. And I knew I was a little undervalued. And I knew that part of it was because of my industry. And I needed to make a big change in my life because I wanted to pay off a huge chunk of debt. So I did a lot of research to figure out what the highest paying industry for recruiters was. And by and far, it was technology. So that became my target. I'm going to make a change from my current industry to the tech industry, but I'm going to keep my same role. And I did a lot of research on the tech industry and I said, okay, I think given my years of experience, I, could, I should target $80,000 as the top of my compensation range. But then as I was going through these conversations with the companies that I was interviewing with and talking about the value that I would add to them, I realized that my value is probably actually more than $80,000 and I might have undervalued myself a little bit even though $80,000 was a lot more than the 56 I'd been making before. In the end, the company ended up offering me $90,000, which was above my target compensation range. And here's the thing, if your offer meets your target comp range or exceeds your target comp range, that does not mean that you should not negotiate. You should always negotiate. No company is going to rescind your offer because they negotiate, because you negotiate. The worst case scenario is that they will come back and they'll say, we're so sorry, we can't meet that request. Would you still like the job at the original offer? So I countered the $90,000 offer at $110,000. They countered my counter at $105,000, which is where we ended up settling. And that is a lesson that I learned um, from a lot of different negotiation research, but um, the majority of it came from reading your book, Kwame, and from listening to your podcast. So So thank you so much for giving me those tools.
0: (laughs) My pleasure. And thank you for giving back by coming on the show and sharing that.
1: Well, and that was, you know, you say something all the time. You say every conversation is a negotiation and it's really true. And so even though they made that offer to me, I was like, oh, I could could accept this offer, but then this wouldn't be a negotiation. So let's do it. Let's see what happens. And it ended up being phenomenal.
0: Exactly. And. I love this story for so many reasons, but number one, it talks about the importance of, of course, like you said, knowing your value, but also having the confidence you need to execute. Um, Again, that's why my book is called Finding Confidence in Conflict, because it doesn't make sense to give recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. If you're too afraid to use the strategy, then you're not going to use the strategy.
1: And I will tell you, I was terrified countering their offer. I was so terrified, I was shaking. I'm sure they could hear my voice shaking on the phone with them. And I had written down, not a script, but an outline. And it outlined the value that I could add to the company. And that was what I said to them. I didn't just counter with a dollar amount. I countered and said, Thank you so much, that's a really gracious offer. And I realize that it aligns with what we talked about originally in our first conversation. However, based on what I've learned about your needs and your challenges during the interview process and the solutions that I've implemented already at other companies to overcome these things, I think I can probably add about 20,000 more dollars of value than that, than you're offering me. So let's talk about how we can Uh, figure out a way that will be fair to both of us.
0: That's a great way to say it. And one of the things I talk about in the negotiation trainings all the time is the because test. If you can't pass the because test, then you're not asking for something legitimate. And your request passed the because test. So you were able to finish the sentence. I'm asking for this because blank. And then you filled it in with objective, legitimate, criteria with facts to bolster your position. And I bet doing that research and, and actually looking back at your history and figuring out your successes in the past and the skills that you have that could meet their specific needs, that probably gave you a little bit more confidence during the conversation too.
1: It did. Absolutely. So did knowing the things that I can negotiate for, though. So when you're negotiating an offer, you should know you can negotiate more than just your base salary. You can negotiate for an annual targeted bonus. You can negotiate for a quarterly targeted bonus. You can... Negotiate your benefits, even though you will be told over and over and over again during the process that you cannot negotiate your benefits and the number one benefit that you can negotiate is time off.
0: That's great. I love it. And I know people are probably saying, wow, I wish I had some kind of resource that could help me to remember all of those things that I could negotiate that are non-monetary. Oh, wait, there's a negotiation guide for that. That's crazy. So if you download the guide, (laughs) you can have a little bit more uh, of an idea of what creative options exist too.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And it actually hadn't occurred to me for a very long time to negotiate benefits until I heard you talking on your podcast, about how your wife had negotiated benefits, I believe in the healthcare industry, which is nearly impossible to negotiate benefits in.
0: Exactly. And that's what they always told her. Oh, you can't negotiate. You can't negotiate. And I said, Whitney, we have a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will negotiate and it worked. So yeah, this is fantastic. And and I think listeners, again, you, you recognize the wisdom that Robin is bringing to the table. And so if this is resonating with you, you know what you should do? you should probably buy that book. So Robin, tell the listeners again about the book and the podcast and how they can get in touch with you.
1: Absolutely. So the book is called Rise, A Feasible Guide for Job Hunters During COVID Times and Beyond. So I've used Thrive's methodology to grow my career from a third, station, a third shift gas station attendant, to a bartender, to a worker in a hospice department as a, at a visiting nurses association, to a manager in marketing, and then finally into talent acquisition. Where I made my home. And so, you know, it's proven that you can use this methodology throughout a wide variety of industries and careers. I've had 25 jobs in 20 years, which is both a pro and a con, but clearly it works. Clearly the method worked because I landed all of them. You know, uh, They were all things that I pursued. They were all things that I wanted. They weren't things that were forced upon me. Um, it's available for pre-order on Amazon now and will go live on December 1st. And The podcast is called The Buy-In Podcast. It is mostly about human resources and talent acquisition um, topics, but the premise is that no matter what industry you're in no matter what function you're in it doesn't matter how great your ideas are and it doesn't matter how what kind of great advice you're getting from all of the books you're reading or the podcasts you're listening to if you can't get buy-in from up down and across your organization to implement those ideas and so Kwame in your intro episode that's your main focus is coaching us through how to um get buy-in with your compassionate curiosity framework which i love
0: thank you so much well robin it was great having you on the show thank you for helping our listeners uh overcome these challenges and uh now the the cycle continues so if you are able to use this successfully and uh thank make sure you give robin a thank you give her a shout out reach out let her know so thank you again robin we really appreciate it and we will certainly have you back on looking forward to that too
1: Thank you, Kwame. It's my pleasure.
0: Congratulations! You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard! What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations